0: Good morning, Radiant Church. Amen. Y'all doing okay? Amen. Sorry. It's fine. It's not my first time. I'm excited this Sunday because we're going to start a brand new series today in the book of Acts. So if this is your very first time worshiping with us this Sunday, you came on a phenomenal Sunday because we're starting a brand new section as we're walking through the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. If you do not have a Bible, just throw your hand up. One of our ushers will put one in your hand. If you don't have a Bible today, um, just grab a Bible up here. Um, There's a couple up here. Um, Just grab a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. Please take that home. Please read it. Please treasure it. Please apply it to your life, and please ask questions about it. Um, So if you don't have a Bible, that's your Bible to keep. There's one more up here up front. Um, Uh, But if you do have a Bible, please just leave that in your seat or give it back to the usher after the service so we can continue to share God's word with others. So if you've been trekking with us for a few weeks, we've been walking through the book of Acts and we begin to see a shift a few chapters ago, a few months ago in in real time, about this Gentile shift. Now, if if you're new to church, and new to this whole thing, this Gentile word you may not be familiar with, but it's really anyone that's not a Jew, anyone that's not an ethnic Jew would be considered a Gentile. Now, why is that a big deal for us? Because at this point in the the church, after Jesus Christ was, was crucified and then raised to new life on the third day, he began to teach and command the disciples to take this gospel and take everything that they've seen and heard and share it with other people. But up to this point, it's been primarily shared with only one group of people, the Jews. There were some people who thought, really, Jesus was just really reincarnating Judaism 2.0, and this is really just for the people of God who we read about in the Old Testament, which were the ethnic tribe of Israel, the Jews. And so there was some confusion about who gets access to Jesus. Who gets access to Jesus? Is it us who were born in the right family, who've been taught the right things, or is it everybody, those God-haters, those atheists and mongrels, all the names that people would have called Gentiles? And beginning in profoundly in chapter 13, we begin to see God saying that, no, this good news is for everyone, that no one is excluded from this gospel of grace. No one is excluded from this message of hope, redemption, and salvation. And that's honestly why we are all here today is because we, by our own merits, don't deserve to be in God's presence, don't deserve access to God because of his unfailing grace and mercy. We are gathered here. We can sing songs. We can pray prayers that God hears. We can go to his word. We have access to him because of grace, because God loves the nations. And so today, as you see on the screen, we're starting a kind of a new series going through the book of Acts and really highlighting what happens next. The church had kind of gone through this honeymoon period. Everyone was getting along. Everybody was high-fiving. Everyone was really excited to be here, but then real life began to settle in. All the married people said, amen, right? So it was a sweet season of, man, we love God. We love what he's doing. We're being taught by the people who walk with Jesus and, and talk with Jesus, and we're on mission, and the gospel is spreading. But then all of a sudden, there became trials and tribulations and sufferings and one of the things that we begin to see is growing pains. No, not the show. Um, that wasn't, wasn't my childhood growing up. Um, but the reality of as you grow older, as you get up, there's just things that are just out of place and things that have to get worked out, and there's just some pain attached to the mission. And so today, I have a, a simple message that we're going to see through the life and work of Paul in chapter 14, that God calls us to persevere in suffering. God calls us to stay the course, and that may be new for some of us, and so I'm going to introduce a a word that some of you may have heard, some of you may not have ever heard in your lives, but it's called a theology of suffering, a theology of suffering. Does what we believe about God fall down on its face in the midst of crisis, in the midst of suffering? That's what we're going to see in God's word today. So open up your Bibles if you have them. This won't be on the screen. Um, We're going to read um, Acts chapter 14. We're going to read the whole chapter because it's just a short 28 verses. And then we're going to see what God has to say to us from his word. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. In Lystra, a man who was sitting without strength in his feet, had never walked and had been lame from birth, he listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because, they, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he had intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you, and we are proclaiming the good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens, who made the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Verse 18, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Poseidon, came to Pamplia. After they spoke with the word in Perga, they went down to Attalia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commanded to the grace, or commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church gather, they reported everything God had done with them, and they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the Gentiles. That is God's words, church. So, if you're reading this for the very first time, there's a lot going on in this one chapter. There's a lot of names, a lot of places, and so we're going we're to go back and just walk through what part of what God is saying in this chapter, and what I really see happening is God unfolding Paul's theology of suffering. We're going to walk through several trials that Paul himself went through, and the reason I think this is included in the Holy Scripture is so that we could strengthen our hands and strengthen our knees to know that following Jesus is better, but it's not always easy. So let's begin with the trials in Iconium. Let's go back just for a second. So in Acts chapter 13, there's a little bit of feedback, guys, in the, in the both. Um, in Acts chapter 13, what, it ha- what happened was they began preaching in this place called Antioch of Poseidon. Now, you heard in lots of different Antiochs. There's another Antioch where they were sent out from. That's a good Antioch. Let's just call this the bad Antioch. There's Antioch in Poseida, and they were basically run out of town. They were preaching the gospel. The Jews stirred up this place, and they literally ran them out of town. They shook the dust off their feet as a sign that they're going to hand them over to their fate, and they went to this place called Iconium, which is about a hundred or so miles away. And they begin doing what they always do. Paul and Barnabas walk into the temple. In chapter 14, verse 1, it says, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number, of both Jews and Greeks, believed. So, so far, so good. They walked into the temple. They began opening up the scriptures. They began talking about Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. And people were like, yeah, that makes sense. But verses five and seven, it says, there was an attempt made by the Gentiles to mistreat them and stone them. You see, the Jews had confused their relationship with God with power. And so this whole Christianity is for everybody thing takes away some of their power, takes away some of their clout because before you had to go to God through me. You had to go to God through me. And so they began to lose their social status. They began to lose their influence over the people. And so they were against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so everywhere it was preached, they went after it. And sure enough, they actually threatened to kill them. Now, at this time, the Jews were under Roman rule. Technically, they couldn't, they couldn't execute capital punishment on their own. That's why Jesus had to go to Herod and Pontius Pilate and all those other people. But they were so angry at the disciples. They were willing to break the law just to see these men dead. And so Paul and Barnabas left Iconium for fear of death. Then they went to this place called Lystra. All this is kind of in modern-day Turkey in Galatia in the Bible. Um, They began to do exactly what they had done before. In verses 8 and 10 of chapter chapter 14, it says, A man who was sitting without strength in his feet had never walked, had been, been born lame from birth. He was listening to Paul as he was speaking, and, and Paul and him must have caught eyes because Paul said that he, he saw that he had the faith to be healed. Now, people don't know exactly what that means, but you can have it, You know you've ever had a conversation with somebody, you know that they're getting it. You know that they're right there with you. And so I think Paul is preaching this message, and he's seeing this person like, yeah, like, yeah this is good, yeah, I want this, and he said, stand up and be healed. And so that man's readiness and softness, his heart, opened the door for a miracle to happen. This is good. Matter of fact, if those who've been trekking with us for a while, you might be reminded of Acts chapter 3. You remember the man who was born lame from birth, who was outside the temple gate? This is almost the exact same story. When Peter walked was going to the temple for a prayer meeting, he saw a man who was born lame, just like this man. The man was asking him for money, and remember what Peter said? He says, gold and silver I don't have, but what I do have I give freely, stand up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this man who was born lame stands up and follows Peter into the temple, and they are worshiping and praising God, and Peter preaches a long sermon preaching Jesus Christ and crucified, and people get saved because of this man's healing in Acts chapter 3. And so in Acts chapter 14, we see Paul doing the same thing. Surely a man who was born lame, now healed in front of witnesses, surely that would lead to the same type of revival we saw in Acts chapter 3, but a little bit different ending to this story. Verse 11 and 12 says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, the, the healing of the man, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Greek in, that, in those times, you're like, okay, what's happening? How do they making this connection? But this was in a very Greek city that worshipped the, the Greek gods of, of Zeus and Barnabas and Hermes. And I'm sorry, not Barnabas and Hermes. And they confused the two. Now, how did that happen? There's a quick history lesson for those who are interested. There's a Roman poet by the name of Ovid. And about 50 years before this time, he had wrote this chronicle about the Greek god Zeus and the Greek god Hermes coming down to this area and walking around. And as they were looking for a, a place to stay that night, they began to knock on doors. And they said, you know, they were disguised and looked like regular people according to the story. And they, they said the story went, they went to a thousand doors and no one would let them stay the night. And finally, this older couple by the name of Philemon and Bacchus. They were elderly, they were old, they didn't have much, but they saw these two strangers in the night and said, you can come stay with us. And as the myth goes, that elderly couple was blessed and they became the first two priests. And the other thousand homes that rejected them and turned them away, those homes were destroyed by the Greek gods, Zeus. And so this was a recent story. And so that begins a story about hospitality, a story about the gods coming down in human form. And so although these people were excited, they were excited for all the wrong reasons, they were excited not because of the message of Jesus Christ. They were excited because they thought that this was the Greek gods coming down to do again what they had heard about. And so they began to worship Paul. They began to worship Barnabas as gods. And when Paul and Barnabas realized what they were doing, they ripped their clothes, which was a sign of grief and anguish, saying, no, we're, we're just people just like you. But you know, people are funny. They will shout Hosanna one day and then crucify him the next. They will write you a letter of recommendation one day and then sabotage the next. And so we see that happening. Verse 18 and 19. Even though they said these things, Paul and Barnabas saying, don't worship us, we're just regular men. It says that they were unable to stop the crowds from sacrificing to them because they saw them as gods. Look at the very next thing that happens. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. In just a moment, they went from worshiping Paul as a god to trying to kill him. You know it's real hatred, y'all. These, these are the same, This is the same Antioch from Lystra. These people traveled over 100 miles just to see Paul stoned to death. There's a map on the screen. I want you, I want you to see this map real quick, To um, so some of the places that we've talked about. You see that little dot in the top left corner? that's Antioch. You see that dot kind of in the middle, those two dots, those lines? That's where they are right now. That's 110 miles away. These people walked here because they heard about what Paul was doing, and they wanted to make sure he didn't do what they did in Antioch. So he walked there, turned the crowds against them, and then led a stoning, a brutal way to, to murder somebody. You can take the map off. So they walked 110 miles just to make sure Paul was dead, and they dragged him out of the city thinking that he was dead. But look at the response. Verse 20, after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. So people don't know what happened. They don't know if he was risen back from the dead. They don't know if he was just unconscious and came back up. But either way, a man who was brutally stoned, which they basically, if you don't know what stoning is, they, they throw these huge boulders. It's not like little pebbles, y'all. Like, that's what, that's what I thought as a kid. Like, that would take a long time to kill somebody. And they could probably just, like, bob and weave. So stoning was they tied you to a post, typically, or they broke your legs, and they would throw these huge boulders on you, and they would crush you until you were dead. It is a brutal way to show your displeasure in somebody's work. And so that's what happened to Paul. And the very next day, he just gets back up and heads to the next city. He goes back to work. And we don't know much about his time in Derby other than he was successful in some means. He, led, he preached the gospel. He saved some disciples, but there's really only one sentence about his time there. And so my question was, okay, this is, this is really cool, really interesting facts, and this is some really cool Greek history and mythology, but, like, why is this in the Bible? What is God trying to tell us about this story? And it, I think it comes back down to where we started from, about de- developing and building a theology of suffering developing and building a theology of suffering you see paul was able to endure stoning and threats of death and being kicked out of a city all because he knew what it meant to follow god he had a theology that could withstand the sufferings of this life because he knew what he was called to do let me call your attention back to acts chapter 9 verse 15 This is his call from the Lord himself. The Lord said to him, Ananias, Go, for this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. How much he must suffer for my name. And I think in the American church, in, in my experience, I haven't really had a chance to build a robust theology of suffering. Matter of fact, suffering is often seen as a sign that we are outside of God's will. Has anybody been told that? Because if God wanted you to do it, it would be easier than this. If he really called you to do this, you wouldn't have to cry so much. It wouldn't cost so much. And so we actually, not only do we not have a theology of suffering, but we actually push it away. And we say, no, because God saved me, and so my life must become easier. Surely I must have my best life now. And whether we believe that overt statement, sometimes in our hearts we hold on to that truth because does God really want me to go through what he's taking me through? But see, for Paul, this was more than a passing season of his life. This was the reality of what God has called me to do, whether it hurts or it heals, I got to do it. I got to do it. He even taught this in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, when he was on his trip back. So he, would vent, he went to Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and now he's going to go back to all those same cities and encouraging them. And it says in verse 21 that after he had preached the gospel in that town, he made many disciples. They returned to Lystra, where they had just gone, to Iconium and to Antioch. So he went on a church tour, and now he's coming backwards. And it says that he was strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. And telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It is necessary to enter many hardships and suffering to see the kingdom of God. You see, Paul had a command from the Lord, y'all. Paul, you're going to be my voice and my spokesman to take my name to Israelites, to Gentiles, and to the nations. That's the call. That's the goal. That's what I can't shake. So whatever it costs me, it doesn't matter. Whatever it costs me, it doesn't matter. And so trials and sufferings and stonings, it doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at Paul's life, he'd been on this, uh, this mission trip for about a year. He'd gone through a bunch of different places in Cyprus and other places, so he'd been traveling for at least a year. On the surface, it doesn't even look like Paul was that successful. Remember when he went to Cyprus? He walked 90 miles across the island of Cyprus, and the Bible only records one convert in that entire country. When he went to Antioch and Pisidia, he was kicked out. When he went to Iconium, there were death threats that made him leave. When he went to Lystra, he was stoned. Some would say, Paul, I don't think you're cut out for this. Paul, you're, you're clearly not good at this. It's like how hard it is. Everywhere you go, people want to kill you. Everywhere you go, you seem to fail. But Paul knew what God had said to church, and I think that's what God's message is for us today. What has God said to you about your life? Who has God said that you are? And what are you willing to sacrifice to hold on to that truth? What are you willing to sacrifice to do the thing that God has called you to do, that you know for a fact that he has put you on this planet to make much of him in this way? What has God called you to? And for some of us, it's not something super spiritual or spooky. It's just what's right in front of us. It's our jobs, it's our relationships, it's our marriages, it's our children, it's our church community. God has called us to these things because he's placed us in these things. But it gets hard and we don't know what to do. It gets hard and we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It gets hard and it's been hard and we don't know what to do. We keep self-diagnosing wondering, what are we doing wrong? I must be dropping, I must be messing up somewhere because why is it this hard? We've got to realize that God doesn't call us to be effective, he calls us to be faithful. You see, what made Paul a success wasn't the converts, wasn't the churches he planted. What made Paul a success is that he was obedient to the call. What makes your marriage successful is you're never giving up on it. What makes you a successful parent is you never giving up on them. What makes you a successful evangelist of the gospel is your willingness to do it, not who gets saved. What makes you a Christian that God is honored and pleased with isn't the accolades. It isn't the resume. It's the quiet moments of daily obedience that God calls us to. And some days, church, that will be hard. Some days, on the other side of being faithful is a stoning. Some days, on the other side of being faithful is being excluded by friends, by being kicked out of the groups, by being other than. Some days, that's what's ahead. That doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong, Christian doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong your job my job our job is to be faithful to wake up every day and say god my life is yours my life is yours take what you want from me because i know you're good and although that my world may fall apart you said in your word that you will never leave me nor forsake me and you are enough that's what it means to have a theology of suffering y'all there's a lot of complicated words and the, the problem of evil, and there's theologians. It's a really complex topic, but what it really comes down to is, is Jesus enough? For Paul, it was. I can be beaten and shipwrecked and, and stoned and excluded and, and sleepless nights. I can have all that because I'm never going to lose Jesus. And as long as he's with me, it's okay. But for many of us, Jesus is a good accessory, but not the main course. We need to have what we need to have. As long as I have enough financially and Jesus, then I'm okay. As long as I have my dream job and Jesus, I'm okay. As long as I have my dream relationship and Jesus, then I'm okay. We try to say that, okay, Jesus is enough, but we live in such a way as we're missing something. As if we're broken and incomplete without this circumstance changing in our life. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 11, Paul talking again. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Why are we not destroyed? He says, we carry, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body." For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may be displayed in our mortal flesh. You see, when Jesus is enough, you want him to be made known more than you want to be comfortable and safe. You want people to see him in your life more than you want them to see your accolades and your education and your competencies and your skills. You want your life to point to him and not to yourself. So even if it calls some stripes and marks on your back, it's worth it. Even if it costs a little shedding of blood, a little discomfort, a little less than I would like to have in my life, if it points to Jesus, if people see you, God, it's worth it. And I'm gonna be honest; I don't, I don't know this personally, the way some of you in this room do. I attended a church called Sweet Union Baptist Church in uh, North Philadelphia. The church was exactly as it sounds. small church in the middle of West Philly, nothing special about it on the outside, but if you walk in, you would find the most loving and generous and godly people you'd ever see in your life. Mostly older folks, and as a young guy walking in, seeing what they're doing, I had lots of, oh, this could be better, this could be better, why is she talking so loud, why is she singing so loud, why is she singing off, like, all these logistical things that I thought was a problem until I got to know some of their stories. Uh, how that lady singing off key had just buried her son last year. And here she is singing louder than everyone else in the church. You see, there's some folks who have been through some stuff. And some of the ladies who, who are serving in that ministry, and I'm like, oh, why do they do kids that way? Why are they do this ministry that way? You know, she doesn't know as much of the Bible as I do and all this other stuff. But she'd been there in the hospital bed for years, for her husband. Watch him slowly passing away. Godly man, godly father, godly husband, doing everything right, but life slipping away. And she knows the answer to the question, is Jesus enough? Because she's had to ask it. And so it gave me a profound sense of humility She can't maybe quote as many verses as I can, but I promise you, she knows God in a deep and profound way. She knows the sufficiency of Christ in a deep and profound way. And at church, I think that's what God is calling us to before the struggle, to abide in him, to to yearn for him, to be satisfied in him alone. That way, when the struggles come, when the waves crash against the boat, we know that peace be still is always an option because Jesus is with us. Because Jesus is with us. Here's my point, church. Follow Jesus wherever it takes you. That's it. Follow Jesus. Whether God gives you much more than you ever need for yourself, and he gives you a life of abundance and joy, then amen, praise God. Follow Jesus. If God and his sovereignty and wisdom and goodness decides to put you in a different set of circumstances don't stray from the course. When Paul was stoned and left for dead, he didn't think, "Man, I need, I need to reevaluate my life. I need to think through some things. I might need to make sure I heard from God. Did God really say no?" He got up and went to the next town because I know what God said. And if it kills me, then I die. But if I don't die, then I'm going to be faithful to the end. I want to end our time with a familiar verse to some of us, maybe new. For mothers, Philippians 4:12. Again, Paul talking. Let me read the the familiar part of the verse. He says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Amen? Maybe we got that on a magnet somewhere. Maybe we got that for a graduation gift somewhere. Guess what verse comes before that, though? I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse is only true because of Jesus. I promise you, if you are not a believer, life will crush you. You cannot do all things because you don't have the power of Jesus working in you. But if you know Jesus, then you have learned the secret, like Paul has learned the secret, that whether I have much or whether I have little, if I got Jesus, I have enough. And if I'm completely honest with you, church, if I would have heard that 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, man, it's just a a Christian cliche. If I got Jesus, I got enough. But then I went through some things. I prayed some prayers that God didn't answer. I went through some heartaches in life, and then I began to realize that it's a cliche for a reason, because it's true. And in those dark moments, you don't have time for elaborate prayers. Sometimes you just got to say, Jesus, Jesus. And you've got to come to a realization that God is enough, and I promise you, he is church. Don't stay on the margins of your faith. Maybe God has protected you in his sovereignty from circumstances of suffering, and praise God for that. You're not less of a Christian or more of a Christian, depending on how much you suffer. God is good, and he gives us what we need in our time. But don't stay on the margins of your faith, dear Christian. Push into a relationship with him. Don't just let it be a cultural rhythm, like you read your Bible every once in a while, you come to church every once in a while. Like, Don't let it just be a rhythm of your culture. Press into your faith. Get to know your God. So when the seasons come, you know what you know. And you know that he loves you, and you can trust in that. If you're not a Christian in here today, often get the question, with all the evil in the world, how can God exist? How do you believe in God, Philip? How can you believe in God with all that's going on in this world? And my, my typical response isn't trying to be sarcastic, although I can be. Isn't trying to be petty. Isn't trying to be funny. It's, it's a genuine response that with all the evil in this world, how can you not believe in God? How can you say no to anything outside of this world when everything you see in this world is broken? That's it. That's all you've got in your life is brokenness in this world and what you can see. There's no greater hope. There's no greater joy. There's nothing ahead of life. And so for the atheists, I mourn. For those who reject God, I feel bad because you're going through the hardships of life with no hope. With no hope that it'll work out. With no hope that there's a reward on the other end. With nothing but you and yourself. And we all know how well that works. So let me encourage you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, please... Please, have a conversation. Fill out a Connect card. Drop it in the Next Steps basket. Take one of those red and white books. Take Do something today. Have a conversation with me or anybody that you've seen on stage today. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you because with, with Christ, all things are possible. But without him, there is nothing. And there's no one that can make up for that. Dear Christian... A theology of suffering isn't pursuing suffering. When Paul was about to be stoned, him and Barnabas left. They didn't stay and try to become martyrs. They left. They left the city and went to another city. Having a theology of suffering doesn't mean we run towards danger. It doesn't mean we play in traffic because we want to be martyrs for Jesus. No, it just means whatever comes, comes. But the first and foremost call is to obedience, not comfort or safety. Because in that moment of obedience, I have Jesus, and Jesus is enough. Will you pray with me? Father.